You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We have two scripture readings this afternoon. In the first place from Luke 17, verses 1 to 10, and then from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, verse 14 verses. And then we will also have a reading from the Belgic Confession, article 24. We begin in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 17. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents... Forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty." Then Galatians 3, 1 to 14. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit... Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law, or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who believe are children of Abraham. The Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the Gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, No one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. 
Let's also turn to Article 24 of the Belgic Confession. This article is entitled, Our Sanctification and Good Works. We believe that this true faith, worked in man by the hearing of God's Word and by the operation of the Holy Spirit, regenerates him and makes him a new man. It makes him live a new life and frees him from the slavery of sin. Therefore, it is not true that this justifying faith makes man indifferent to living a good and holy life. On the contrary, without it, no one would ever do anything out of love for God, but only out of self-love or fear of being condemned. It is therefore impossible for this holy faith to be inactive in man. For we do not speak of an empty faith, but of what Scripture calls faith working through love. Galatians 5, 6. This faith induces man to apply himself to those works which God has commanded in his word. These works, proceeding from the good root of faith, are good and acceptable in the sight of God, since they are all sanctified by his grace. Nevertheless, they do not count toward our justification. For through faith in Christ, we are justified, even before we do any good works. Otherwise, they could not be good any more than the fruit of a tree can be good unless the tree itself is good. Therefore, we do good works, but not for merit. For what could we merit? We are indebted to God rather than he to us for the good works we do, since it is he who is at work in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13 Let us keep in mind what is written, so you also... When you have done all that is commanded, you say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Luke 17.10 Meanwhile, we do not deny that God rewards good works, but it is by his grace that he crowns his gifts. Furthermore, although we do good works, we do not base our salvation on them. We cannot do a single work that is not defiled by our flesh and does not deserve punishment. Even if we could show one good work, The remembrance of one sin is enough to make God reject it. We would then always be in doubt, tossed to and fro without any certainty, and our poor consciences would be constantly tormented if they did not rely on the merit of the death and passion of our Savior. This afternoon we are considering the truth of God's Word as it's been summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 24 of the Hutterberg Catechism. But why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God, whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. But do our good works earn nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? This reward is not earned. It is a gift of grace. Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? No. It is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. Beloved congregation of Jesus Christ, on a recent edition of the White Horse Inn radio program, Rod Rosenblatt described a study that had been done some years ago among American Lutherans. They they were asked whether they thought they were going to heaven and on what basis. 
The vast majority were fairly certain that they were heaven-bound, but they also believed that it was because they were good people who did good things. People said things like, I served in the church doing this and doing that. I was involved with the choir. I was involved with this outreach program or that outreach program. I made big donations to the church building project. Now, on paper, most Lutherans believe in the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Same doctrine we believe in. The Lutherans have confessions, and this doctrine is in their confessions too. But yet, practically speaking, this study showed that many believed that what we do somehow contributes to our salvation, somehow contributes to our right standing before God. But let's not pick on the Lutherans. Some time ago, I had a couple of people come to our door here in Langley. They weren't Jehovah's Witnesses and they weren't Mormons. They were Christians. And they were doing the Evangelism Explosion Program the Evangelism Explosion Program that had been developed by Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church and D. James Kennedy, well-known figure in American Christianity. And you can always tell someone is using Evangelism Explosion because the conversation usually begins with the same question. And the question is, if you were to die tonight, and if God were to ask you why He should let you into heaven, what would your answer be? I answered their question, and then I told them as well that I was a pastor, a pastor of this church. And they said that they had encountered quite a few people from our church. It's not surprising considering the size of our church. And what do you think they said about the answers they were receiving from us? Well, I can let you figure that one out for yourself. And don't think about others now, just, just think about yourself. How would you personally answer that question? If you were to die tonight, and if God were to ask you why He should let you into heaven, what would your answer be? Would your answer be based on what you've done? Do we really believe in justification through Christ alone? By faith alone? And that's the challenge put to us this afternoon by the biblical teachings found in Lord's Day 24. This Lord's Day explores the connection between what we do and our justification, our being declared right in God's sight. Last week we considered Lord's Day 23, and as we did that, we saw that the verdict is rendered because of what Christ has done for us. But does that mean that we're now totally excluded can't we contribute something to our justification? The Catechism follows the line of Scripture, teaching us, as Hebrews 3 verse 1 says, to fix our thoughts on Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest whom we confess. And so I preach to you God's Word with the theme, fix your eyes on Christ and not on your deeds. And we'll consider how God rejects all deeds, accepts some deeds, and expects good deeds. Now, there are five slogans which are often associated with the Reformation of the 16th century. 
they may be familiar to you. I, I hope they are. They all contain the Latin word solus, or alone. We have sola fide, by faith alone. Sola gratia, by grace alone. Sola scriptura, by scripture alone. Solo Christo, by Christ alone. And last of all, of course, soli Deo Gloria, to God alone the glory. The word solus, or alone, is crucially important. Because you see, the Roman Catholic Church taught that we are saved by Christ. But not Christ alone. The Roman Catholic Church taught that we are saved by God's grace. Absolutely. But not grace alone. They taught that we are saved by faith, but not by faith alone. It was and it is always a case of plus. Christ plus the merits of the saints. Grace plus man's efforts. Faith plus works. This is an old error. It doesn't just go back to the Roman Catholic Church of the 16th century or today. Because you can find it addressed in the Bible as well. Identified in the Bible. Because there were those in the days of the Apostle Paul who taught that, yes, yes, you need Christ for salvation. Absolutely. But you also need to observe the law. You also need good works. You need Christ plus good works. And the the people who taught this were called Judaizers. And the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, spends a lot of time addressing this Jesus plus works error. This is what the Apostle Paul is addressing in chapter 3 of Galatians. And he gives a test case. And the test case that he gives is that of Abraham. How was Abraham declared right before God? Paul says that it was by faith in God's promises, those promises which would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It is those who have faith, he says, that are blessed with Abraham. But then what about what we do? Well, Paul says in Galatians 3.10, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do Everything written in the book of the law. The law has a very high standard, has a very high demand. And if you are going to make law-keeping your way of salvation, you need perfection. And then he adds that Christ is the one who redeems us from this curse so that we can receive the same blessing as Abraham. Loved ones, it's clear from this passage in Galatians 3 and and others that when it comes to our justification, God rejects all our deeds. If we wanted to contribute something that we had done, whatever it is would be have to be absolutely perfect, would have to be absolutely stainless. But as it is, we have no such deeds. As the Catechism says, even the best things we do in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. We have nothing of substance to contribute to our justification. Nothing that can stand up before God's holiness and righteousness. God's standard is perfection. 
Matthew 5.48, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. No one can meet that. Now someone might say, someone who knows their Bible really well, okay, given what Paul says, that's fine, but what about James? Doesn't James contradict Paul on this very point? Because after all, James also takes Abraham, considers him. But he seems to reach the opposite conclusion. He says in James 2.24, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Well, Paul and James do not contradict each other because they are addressing two entirely separate, different errors. Paul is addressing the Judaizers' error of Jesus plus. James is addressing those who say they're Christians, but then give no evidence of it. Those who say they're Christians, but they live like the world. When James says that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone, that simply means that faith evidences itself with obedience to God's Word. The world looks and sees a person whose walk generally matches their talk. James is not writing about how a sinner can be declared righteous by a holy God. That's not in view at all. But that is what Paul is writing about. And when Paul writes about that, it's clear that our deeds play no part. We are declared right with God through Christ alone, by faith alone, apart from works. And this teaching from Scripture is meant to lead us again outside of ourselves, to stop looking at what we do, and to look to Christ alone, to rest and to trust in Him alone. Now, that cuts two ways. And let me explain how. There are those who may be trusting in their own good works, thinking that they are saved because they're doing their part. They think that Jesus Christ got us started, and now it's up to us, it's up to our efforts to stay in God's grace by what we do. And by doing that, we make our contribution to our salvation. And they think that they can do it, for the most part. Oh, sure, they'll admit they slip up a little bit here and a little bit there, but mostly it's on the right track. Salvation, in this way of thinking, of these people, is a cooperative effort between God and ourselves. Scripture says, no. Scripture says in passages like Isaiah 64, verse 6, which you'll notice is one of the um, texts listed here in, in Lord's Day 24, says that our best deeds are like filthy rags. What we can do can contribute nothing to our salvation. Absolutely zero. If you're relying on what you do for anything, you are still under the curse of the law. Look to Christ alone. Look to Christ alone all the time. But then there are also those who think that they cannot be saved because they have failed 
in doing their part. They also think that Jesus may get people started, but then it's still up to us to do our part, to make our contribution. And these people are on the opposite end of the spectrum because they realize that they can't do it. And so they give up. I'm not good enough to be a Christian. And to them, Scripture says, you're right. You're not good enough. That's the point. No one is good enough. If you were good enough, you wouldn't need Jesus Christ. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one can contribute anything to salvation. Jesus Christ did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. People like you. People like me. And so, look to Christ alone. Look to Christ alone. All the time. And so when it comes to our justification, to our right standing before God, works count for nothing. God rejects all deeds, good or bad, and He only considers what Christ has done for us and in our place. And those who rest and trust in Christ alone will be declared right with God. And again, as we heard last week, that's not because of their faith, but because of the perfect merits of Jesus Christ alone. As we confess in the Belgic Confession, if we were to rely on what we do in any way, we would always be left in doubt, tossed to and fro without any certainty, and our poor consciences would be constantly tormented. And what are we to do instead? Rely entirely on the merit of the death and passion or the suffering of our Savior. In other words, believe the gospel. And that's what the great church father Augustine did. I'd like to give you a couple quotes from, from Augustine on this subject. He wrote in one place, All my hope, all my assurance and confidence is placed in His precious blood, which was shed for us and for our salvation. In Him my poor heart breathes. And as I have confidence entirely in Him, I desire to come to You, O Father, not having my own righteousness, but that of Your Son, Jesus Christ. And in another place, Augustine wrote these words, All my hope is in the death of my Lord. His death is my merit, my refuge, my salvation, my life, and my resurrection. My merit is the mercy of the Lord. To be saved, we must have the same confidence and the same faith as Augustine. Fix your eyes on Christ and not on your deeds. Have all your hope and all your expectation in Him alone. Okay, someone says, all that's true. But then what do you do with the fact that God promises to reward certain deeds in this life and in the next? For instance, 2 John 8 says, Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. And there are several other passages that say the same thing. How do we explain that? Well, that's the what question and answer 63 is addressing. Catechism acknowledges that Scripture teaches that good works are rewarded by God in this life and the next. But does that mean that they are something that we've earned? 
something that contributes to our salvation, or maybe if, if not to our salvation, maybe at least to our, our well-being or our happiness. Do we have some part to play here at all? Well, first of all, when we get to Lord's Day 32, we'll be reminded that anything good we do is Christ's work in us and through us. Christ's work in us through His Holy Spirit. But for now, we have to consider what Scripture says in passages like Luke 17, 1 to 10. In verses 7 to 10, He speaks to His disciples and He says, let's say that one of you had a slave. Now, the key thing to recognize here is that a slave did not have a right to be paid for his service. A slave or a servant, as the NIV translates that word, a slave or a servant was bought. And he might be expected to work for nothing. Though in practice, slave owners often did pay their slaves as a form of incentive to motivate them to work harder. But the slave didn't have any rights. And his master didn't owe him anything, especially anything for his labor. And so that slave is out in the field, Jesus says. Would the master invite his slave to sit down and eat with him? Or wouldn't he instead go and tell him to fix supper? And when the slave does what he's supposed to do, he doesn't get thanked. And so the Lord Jesus says, when you've done everything you were supposed to do, just say, we are unworthy servants. We only did our duty. Now, we have to take this passage in the context of the entire Bible and especially the Gospels in the New Testament. Because the amazing thing is that the Master did, in fact, invite His slaves to eat with Him. And He still does. And even more amazingly, he brought the slaves into his father's house. He does that too, still. And in all those things and many more, they were not being given wages for their service. Their status was slaves. And so it is with us. It's the reason why the Apostle Paul calls himself several times in his epistles a slave of Christ Jesus, or a slave of God. Like Paul, we were created to serve God and to glorify Him forever. When we become Christians, God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us anything for the service we render to Him with our lives. We don't have a right to demand payment. The fact that He does give us blessings that He does give us rewards. All of that is entirely out of His grace. It's unearned. He doesn't owe us any of it. Think of what it says in Romans 11.35. Who has ever given to God that God should repay Him? And the answer, of course, is nobody. The only wages that the Bible knows about are the wages of sin. The rest is all grace. You could also illustrate this with the example of children in a family. Just like slaves in the New Testament couldn't expect a a wage or a reward for what they did, for doing their duty, so also children shouldn't expect a reward for doing what is their duty as children. If they receive a reward, if their parents promise them something in return, well, that's great. 
But they ought not to have a sense of entitlement, as if they deserve it, as if they have it coming to them. And so also we are children of God through Jesus Christ. We are called to live as His children, and He does promise to reward us when we do. But this reward is not a wage. It's not something that we have earned. Rather, as the Belgic Confession says, it is by God's grace that He crowns His gifts. He accepts and He rewards some deeds. Those done out of true faith. Not as the the basis for our justification or our salvation, but He does that out of His grace as a gift. And then there's one more objection to deal with. It's found in both the Belgic Confession and the Heidelberg Catechism. The Confession addresses those who would say that this justifying faith makes man indifferent to living a good and holy life. The Catechism puts it this way, does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? But that question, that question misses the love, the joy, the thankfulness that exists with those who are grafted into Christ. Those who have union with Him through faith in the Holy Spirit. Think about it this way. What happens when you fall in love with someone? Your love makes you eager to please the other person. Now, let's say you've been going out with someone, putting on your best behavior, and then one day the question gets popped, will you marry me? And when the answer is yes, you then think, well, now I'm in, now I can do whatever I want. Maybe some people think that, but normally that's not the case. Because you love the other person, and because you find joy in your beloved, You anticipate whatever pleases them, whatever delights them. There's no coercion. There's no sense of obligation. But yet you're driven to live for that person in some sense. Driven by love. Driven by joy. And with our life before God, it's the same way. By true faith, we are grafted into Christ. And that imagery comes from Scripture, from passages like John 15. There, Jesus describes Himself as the vine and us as the branches. Jesus says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in Me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from Me, you can do nothing. Now think about that image for a moment. The image of the vine and the branches. It's natural for fruit trees to bear fruit. That's what you expect a fruit tree to do. In fact, if you have a normal, mature, healthy tree, it's impossible for it not to bear fruit. And Christ is that normal, mature, healthy tree. And we are grafted into that tree by faith. And so it's only natural as we believe in Christ that we would bear fruit. As we fix our eyes on Christ, as it says in Hebrews, our union with Him bears the fruit of thankfulness. Now think about it also from this angle. Jesus Christ has a perfect love for His Father. He obeyed His Father 
in his life here on earth, continues to obey him. Now, God can expect that those who are united to Christ, he can expect them also to love him and to obey him. And it's true, they won't do so perfectly in this life. They still have the remnants of the old nature with which they will continue to struggle. But there will be fruits of thankfulness and love. And those fruits will grow and increase as we grow in the faith. It's impossible for this not to happen. And it's important for us to remember that these are indeed fruits. It has nothing to do with the root or the basis of our salvation. When we are filled with love for God, when we have joy in Him, and we want to express our thankfulness through obedience to Him, that's the fruit of what He's done for us and in us. And so we let God's Word guide the expression of our thankfulness, our love, and our joy. When our Father shows us how to live, how to think, and how to speak and act, we eagerly desire to obey so that we can please Him. Not because we're trying to measure up. Not because we're trying to earn our standing before Him. But because He is our Father. And we love Him. We love Him because He first loved us. It's a natural outcome of our faith. Let's go back to that question from the beginning. How do you expect to be allowed into heaven? Your answer, loved ones, has to be Christ. And Christ alone. Because of Christ's obedience... Because of His suffering and His death. Because of all of His redemptive work for you. There is no other right answer. And as for our good works, they play no role at all in the root of our salvation. They are, however, evidence or fruit of our faith. And God does promise to graciously crown these gifts that He works in us and through us. And so, loved ones, to sum it up, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the life we now live in loving thankfulness, we live to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we praise Your grace in Jesus Christ. Thank You for His absolutely perfect righteousness, all His perfect merits. Please help us with Your Word and Spirit so that we would never rely on our own deeds, but always, always fix our eyes on Him. Father, we also thank You for Your gracious promise to crown Your gifts and to reward our good works. We acknowledge that this is also undeserved from first to last. And Father, We also pray for Your Spirit to work in us so that being grafted into Christ, we would continue to bring forth fruits of thankfulness. We ask that You would lead us in ever greater measures of faith, love, and joy in You so that Your glory would be magnified through us, Your children. Please hear us in Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness. Amen. 
This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.